Amen. God's pretty pretty cool, isn't he? I don't know if it's okay to call God cool or not, but uh, he's cool. I'm thankful that, uh, that I know him and that he's paid for me, he's paid for my salvation. Amen. Um, Stop touching the squeaky pulpit. Um, you know, I've, for as long as I can remember, I've always been a observer of, of people. And um, it's a, lot of, a lot of it has to do with my personality and nature and things. And it's not always been a good thing. I, I can find myself being critical and negative of things at times, but... Um, I've I've noticed in in the few years that I've been alive, and uh, which all of them I've been in church, I've noticed that uh, a lot of times, and this just this doesn't have to do with just church. This has to do with like everyday life. That where people are, it it so often shows with their body language, and um, especially in church you can tell whether people are feeling conviction or condemnation a lot of times by by the way that they react or or respond in a service and um <laughs> there's more than one reason i sit up here on the front row my and my family it's not cuz it's a special seat or anything but really probably the biggest reason is so that it's so we're in front of everyone and we don't see <laughs> everything going on um, just kind of a pro tip for when you're in <laughs> a service with a lot of people, sit further up so you don't have to see all the chaos going on. But um, I, when I was in school, I was I had a, a position where I was kind of, in a way, overseeing um, the student body and a lot of the kids. And and um, I'm young, but there was kids coming in that were like 17 years old, making me feel old. And um, but I observed, figure out how to get it to go live. So you push the three dots. Oh, oh, gotcha, okay. Okay, hopefully it works. <laughs> um, want me to take a look at it real quick? Let me, let me check. Let's put that thought on pause. We're good. <laughs> um, anyway, so <laughs> hopefully I can re remember where I was at. Um, yeah, so always an observer. I've always been an observer of people. And um, like I said, it's not always been a good thing, but there's a lot of times, a lot of services when, um, and part of it was I, I was in charge of taking attendance for services for for everything. And so a lot of times I'd kind of stand in the back uh, once service started and see who trickled in late <laughs> and kind of keep my mental notes of, okay, these people, I need to check in on these people because, you know, yeah, it's working. <laughs> Body language and, and our actions prove a lot of times where we're at. And um, one of the big things, especially with people in church, young people, there was a lot of other signs because we all lived on the same campus, so it wasn't 
very easy to hide your spiritual um, life from from everyone. If you were not doing so well, it kind of showed. But um, one of the biggest tells to me in services was the liberty that people had in worship. And um, oftentimes I've noticed, and I've noticed this too with people, newer people who come in church, and because church is weird. <laughs> God's cool, and but church is kind of weird. Uh, and that's okay too. I mean, what's Portland say? Like, keep it weird, stay weird, something. I don't know. We're not trying to be that kind of weird, but but church can be kind of weird. And so, you know, I've seen newer people come in and it's it's more of kind of a timidity thing of, okay, these people have their hands thrown up in the air. What's what's that all about? And But what I've realized through observing people over the years and through my season at school, seeing people's kind of roller coaster uh, effect of life is sometimes, you know, they would get, they'd be dealing with condemnation and their hand, they'd, their hands would come down a little further and they'd, and it's just kind of a, not to get into body language, but it's just kind of a like closing in type of, uh, type of thing. But man, when people felt instead of condemnation, when they felt a conviction and a liberty in the Holy Ghost, whether it was their first service or, you know, they finally got over this hump of whatever this sin they had done or something, man, their hands so oftentimes would just flail up into the air. And you'll see it a lot of times as well when people receive the Holy Ghost. They may be like kind of navigating this, these new waters of, of this weirdness of, of church. And uh, some of it is our own fault of, of religious tradition and whatnot. But, but man, when someone, a lot of times when people get filled with the Holy Ghost, They'll go from kind of this reserved place to, without being told, without knowing why, just going. I don't know if you've ever witnessed that or seen that before. Um, but that's just kind of a cool little side note that uh, maybe take note of for yourself tonight. Like I said, I sit on the front row for a reason, so I don't observe more than I should. Um, but whether it happens you know, through the liberty that you feel in the Holy Ghost or whether it happens by you saying, you know what, I'm not going to be held back by my own human will. I'm going to push through that. And, and, and there's such power and liberty in, in that simple act of raising our hands. Uh, I can't explain that. I haven't done an extensive study on that. I'm sure there's so much in the Word that talks about that. But um, anyway, just a, just a thought for you tonight. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to try to be quick. I'm going to try. I will. But I'm going to take my watch off <laughs> so I can see it. Uh, the book of Jonah, kind of a hard one to find, but it's after Obadiah, <laughs> if that's any more familiar to you. And right before Micah, it's a real short book in your Bible. Right before the New Testament, so kind of in the middle middle region there. And I thought about thought about reading just reading the whole book tonight. Um, it's not that long; it's two pages. Um, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, maybe yeah, if the night was younger. But um, for those of you who don't know the story of, of Jonah, we have a Jonah here tonight. Where is he at? There he is. 
got to be his favorite book in the Bible, huh? <laughs> Special guest. I won't bring him up here and put him on the spot, but uh, love Jonah. And we don't, I, we don't really hear messages or preaching from this book very much, and uh, so we're going to hear some tonight. But Jonah, the story of Jonah is really interesting because he's a prophet, and the word of the Lord comes to him and tells him to go to Nineveh. <laughs> to go to Nineveh, this great city, and cry against it. And this is chapter 1, verse 2, and God's speaking to him. He says, For their wickedness has come up before me, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish uh, from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. It's hard to say. So he paid the fare thereof. Long story short, he went the opposite direction. From, from Nineveh, from that evil city, because he didn't like it. He didn't like those people, and he didn't want to be the man, the vessel of God that went there and spoke to them. And I can't say that I blame him, because if you've ever seen Veggie Tales, <laughs> you know they were flip, fish slappers, so <laughs> don't go to Nineveh. So he, he, so he buys these boat tickets and goes the opposite direction. And there's a lot of, throughout all of Scripture, there's a ton of paganism that uh, pops up everywhere. And he's on this boat, storm r- rises up, and um, they start to cast lots saying, okay, let's figure out who's the cause of this storm because surely the gods are, are upset with someone on this boat and we're going to figure out who it is. And they, they cast lots or played go fish, found out it was Jonah. And then he confessed and said, okay, you know what? Um, and I should have marked this better. But uh, long story short, he admits it was because of his disobedience to God that this storm was rising up. And he says, you know what? You guys don't all have to endure this. Just throw me in to the ocean and... Things should be fine. And so they said, okay. <laughs> took, Joseph, took Jonah up, verse 15, cast him forth into the sea. And I don't know if it was immediately, but I think it was probably pretty quick that the sea ceased from her raging. Sea's a female. And verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now, watch, this, is, this has always been so amazing to me. It says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. He, he didn't make one really quick in that moment to come swallow Jonah, but he had prepared a great fish um, to swallow Jonah and to get Jonah to the place that he needed to be. And that wasn't just a, a physical location, but clearly it was a, it was a, a location in his mentality and in his spirit that that was dead to his self enough, that was selfless enough and humble enough to be able to go to this heathen city who was enemies and opposing of of the children of Israel, to be able to go there in obedience to the word of God, dodging, you know, whatever spitballs and <laughs> whatever may, may be coming his way because they, they didn't like him either. As much as he didn't like them, I'm sure they didn't like him either. 
And so he's in the belly of this great fish for three days. <laughs> Imagine that. I mean, there's some terrible places on the world living. You know, you, you see it all the time. People live under bridges and some sad situations, but this probably rates up there with one of the worst places to live for any length of time, and especially three days. And uh, But watch, watch Jonah's response in, in this situation. And I don't know if this was the first day, the second day, or the third day, but there was a reason he was in there three days, and we'll get into that in a second too. Because Jonah, he prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Kind of tells you how he felt about the belly. For thou, for thou hast cast me in the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about all thy billows, and the waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again towards thy holy temple. He's repenting here, telling God how he's wrong. The waters can pass me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. And I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Verse 7, my soul fainted within me. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple. Skip forward with me to, oh, verse 10. The Lord spoke unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Nice picture there as well. And then watch the beginning of chapter 3. The Lord comes to Jonah again. And it's amazing to me because despite Jonah's disobedience and total disregard for the word of God and literally going in the opposite direction, God put him in a, in a place, in a, a scenario, in a set of circumstances that, that got Jonah to the point that he needed to be for God to use him. And, um, man, there is some, I, I've never had it this bad, but there are some situations, some, some mental things, some, just some things that I've dealt with, deal with, that, that I, I bring to God often, <laughs> And I tell him, God, why, just why? why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? And it's usually after a season of time that, that I become humbled, that I uh, come to my senses kind of like the prodigal, and that I realize it's all for my good because it's, it's stripping away. It's as if a um, sculptor is, is there at, at this big rock and just with the chisel chiseling away, and it's painful, it's, it's not comfortable, it's not fun, but I realize once I get through that, I can be spewed up <laughs> back in the proper location, in the proper time, because I promise you it wasn't wasted those three days, it wasn't unintentional, the fact that it was three days, and I'm going to show you that here in a second, it was very specific on purpose and for a reason, and it got Jonah where he needed to be. And it's so amazing. Jonah, he goes to Nineveh, and it was a three days journey through Nineveh. It was a big city, and um, it was an exceeding great city, a three days journey. Verse 4, chapter 3, Jonah began to enter to the city a day's journey. He cried 
And, and watch this. This is the extent of Jonah's message to this city. Lost my place. He cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's like eight words in the English language. Eight words is his, his whole message of repentance to these people. But watch the response to this heathen and uh, terrible nation. The people of Nineveh believed God. They believed that he was going to do what his prophet said he was going to do, that he was going to destroy that city in 40 days' time. They believed God, and they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth for the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and he covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let the, neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered, so on and so forth. Again, long story short, because of their repentance, because of their obedience to the word of God, God saw their works, that they were turned from their evil, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. And uh, Jonah didn't like that. Jonah got mad, but um, that would be reading the entire book, so I'm not going to do that. Read the last chapter when you go home. But if you would turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Sorry, uh, Matthew chapter 12, and verse 38. Jesus has been having a conversation here with um, some people, and verse 38 says, Certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee, or Master, we'd like to see a sign from you. It's not a, that wasn't a sign. <laughs> but verse 39 it says, but he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas or Jonah. For as Jonah was 3 days and 3 nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh shall arise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, that short little message that Jonah gave. They repented, the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up and in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold a greater than Solomon is here when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man he walks through dry places seeking rest and findeth none then he said I'll return into my house from whence I came out and when I came 
I'll find it empty and sweep and garnish. <laughs> I, I, I told you it was uh, no coincidence. He was in the belly of the fish three days. Is it's it's literally a it was literally a sign of that was going to be used in who knows how long later of testament. That, and those people were going to rise up and say, "Look, we we responded. We listened to simply a word. We didn't have we didn't have a sign. We didn't have the man Christ Jesus walking among us for thirty some odd years." doing miracles and signs and wonders in our midst. We had a prophet who was in the belly of a whale for three days, and that was enough for us to respond. That was enough for us to fast, to put on sackcloth and ashes, and turn from our evil ways and cause God to turn his judgment from us. And in this generation, this same generation, it, it, the same words of Jesus that apply today, were, it's an evil and adulterous thing to ask God of a sign. And I was thinking of this and reading this the other day, and I realized that because we talk about signs and wonders and miracles happening, it's not talking about those kind of signs, but it's talking about a sign that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what the Pharisees really were asking him in this scripture. They were saying, you know, Jesus, you said all these cool things. You said all this stuff that's revelatory that, you know, we admit you've got some knowledge and we admit you have some revelation that's a little bit beyond us. You, you showed us that even when you were 12 years old. But prove to us that you're really the Messiah. Show us some kind of sign. And this, of course, was before he had died, was buried and resurrected. But he's saying to them, just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days in the heart of the earth. Turn with me to uh, one other scripture. I told you I'm going to try to be quick. You know, the Bible talks about, and this just kind of came to me before service. Interesting how the, the Bible talks about and we've heard it a lot, the carnal mind being enmity against God. And it's, it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. There's no way that we can cause this carnal mind, no matter how much we try in our humanity, like the Pharisees that were questioning Jesus. There's no, way, there's no amount of effort that we can put in to line up with the word of God, to line up with the law from Genesis to Revelation. We can't do it in our humanity. We can't do it in our human efforts, with our human logic, with the wisdom of this world. It, it, it can't be done. But what I realize is that the, a, a greater reason that the wisdom of this world and that the carnal mind is such an enemy against God, it's not only because it's carnal, but it's because the carnal mind is literally opposing to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The simplicity of the message of the gospel that is the death, the burial, the resurrection, the three days that Jesus was in the grave. And I believe scripture here shows us that uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I don't know if I gave you that verse yet or not. 
And it says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. It's, it's a tragedy, and I, I would even say it's ironic, that it's, it's those that perish that it's foolishness to. It's those that choose not to listen to and obey the message of the cross, of the gospel. It's those ones that, that it's foolishness to. And in their humanity, they don't want to obey it. But unto us, which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? And where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolishness the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God... The world by wisdom knew not God, and it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Or other translations say the foolishness of the message preached to save them that believe. Verse 22. For the Jews require a sign. The Jews required something more than the life of Jesus. Even the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It wasn't enough to the Jews to convince them this was their Messiah. Because he didn't come in the way that they expected. He didn't come on his white horse. He didn't come and sit on the throne during his short earthly uh, existence. He came humbly before them. And the Bible talks about how he's a stumbling block to the Jews. So they require a sign. They require something more to believe. And the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews, like I said, it's a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you, continue reading with me, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to things, to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Amen. I wonder if we can, um, I'm, I'm, I'm about to finish been about 15, 20 minutes, about to finish, but I wonder if we can um, just pray for, pray for one moment, pray that God would, in the same way, kind of the illustration of, of raising our hands, that we can in our spirit yield to God in that same way for what he wants to speak and impart into our hearts tonight. In the name of Jesus, God, we hear your word and we hear the wisdom of your word tonight, not anything that flesh or man can produce, 
Jesus, I pray we not be foolish, that we not be an adulterous generation that seeks after more and of a greater sign to convince us that you have come, to convince us that you've died for our sins. In the name of Jesus. You know, the, the reason that the reason that Nineveh is going to be able to come and condemn this generation that requires more of a sign than Jesus himself, they re- that require more of a sign to prove that Jesus is the Messiah and that the death, the burial, the resurrection is something they need to take part of. The reason Nineveh is going to be able to come and condemn them is because without signs, without evidence, with such a short message, they believed and responded. And I'm afraid that today, because we can talk about it with the world, but even for myself, if I'm not careful, the, the message of the cross can be foolishness at times. And not because I don't necessarily believe it for maybe the world or for Nineveh, but because I don't maybe at times believe it for myself. And I know what I've done. I know, well, God, I just ran from you. <laughs> I just, you know, ran the opposite direction. But you can look at both sides of this story tonight, whether you're with the Pharisees, the evil and adulterous generation questioning God, or whether you're with Jonah, who needs to be humbled in a place to realize that, you know what, God can use me in spite of my humanity. God can use me to turn the hearts of an entire nation by my words. To show them that my words, it's not my words, it's not my power, it's simply my obedience, my yield. The fact that I've went through, I've walked through the same steps of the process that Jesus Christ himself walked through and in my three days in the belly of the whale type of experience, because I, I realize that even in my humanity, I can, I can try to die daily and it still be for a selfish reason. I can, I can try to die daily because I know it's what I'm supposed to do and I want to feel God more. I want to be used by God more. And so it can all be inward and selfishly focused. But we see in in Philippians 2 and throughout the whole scripture, the reason Jesus came and died was to humble himself, to not be made of any reputation, but to serve, to to be made in the form of of a servant. And I... I don't know about you, but I, I need that reminder uh, probably more often than I want to admit. I need the reminder that, you know what, Jesus came. He died for me. His blood is, that was shed still reaches to me. But no matter how many times I continue to fall and continue to need the grace of God, that power of the blood of God through my words can also still reach to someone else. Despite whether I just got out of the belly of a fish, just had seaweed wrapped around my head two minutes ago, God can deliver me in an instant, turn it around, and use me to reach a nation. Yeah. 
and use you to reach a nation. Amen. Why don't you uh, stand with me tonight right at the edge of going long? Can we just lift our hands and pray that God would, by his spirit, impart to us the wisdom of God, the understanding of God that he would have us to know tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Father, that no flesh would glory in your presence, Jesus. God, but that all of the glory, that all of the honor would be given to you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God, we believe, we trust, we believe, and we know that you've died for us. That your blood still reaches today. That you still have a plan, God, to use us. That you still have a plan to save this world. And in a moment, Jesus, you can turn the hearts of a nation. In the moment, God, you can restore me back to your full purpose, to your full intention. In a moment of time, God, you can restore me out of the belly of a fish can put my feet back on solid ground and you can send me back in the right direction and I thank you Jesus for your restoration I thank you father for your redemption I pray we would receive of it tonight in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Aren't you thankful for the word of the Lord? Human wisdom says, well, Jonah went away from God, just let him go. Human wisdom says the whale is his punishment. It wasn't his punishment. It was his salvation. It was his salvation. That terrible situation was his salvation. Isn't that beautiful when you think? Your circumstances are more often than not God's way of getting you postured and positioned for what he wants for you. Now, mine and your stubbornness may prolong our circumstances and our situation. I um, I receive the word of the Lord tonight. I receive the word of the Lord tonight. God's weakness is greater than my strength. And God's strength is made perfect or complete in my weakness. We try so hard to be strong. And that's so contrary to God. I have to be strong. Right. That's human will. That's human will. That's not the will of God. But Lord, I know. He's called us to weakness. It's his plan. Then when I realize and acknowledge and becomes very clear everything that's happening and operating in my life is 
the work of the grace of God, the Spirit of God flowing through a vessel that he would choose. He would choose. You want to get really frustrated living for God? Do everything out of your will. I'm really trying for God. That's almost always an indicator for me that I haven't yielded in an area and let God work in my life. Understand what we heard tonight. Jonah acknowledged there in the first chapter all this that's happening right now, this circumstance all of you are in, it's because of me. And you get one individual in your family that God's trying to use that's resisting the will of God, it'll affect everybody in the boat. It'll affect everybody in the boat. And Jonah acknowledged, I'm the reason he was pitched overboard. That was him dying. He was acknowledging. Do you realize what he did in that moment? I don't die, you're all going to die. He gave up his life for theirs. The types in the shadow of Christ, he gave up his life so theirs wasn't destroyed. Throw me overboard and you'll be fine. He didn't know God had prepared something for him. He finally got to the place where he was no longer acting in self-interest. He was acting in the interest of the other's salvation. And that became the turning point for God to use him. Because of Nineveh, he would act in their interest and their salvation rather than self-preservation. Self-preservation. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Joel, for the word. I'm not going to belabor the point, but I'm going to receive it into my spirit. I'm going to receive it into my spirit. I want to be crucified with Christ so that I can declare with Paul, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I want that. And if you want that, then you pray, God, let me be crucified. Now, if you pray that in sincerity, I'm going to let you in on something I've learned in 50 years. Jesus did not nail himself to the cross. Roman soldiers nailed him to the cross. Heathens nailed him to the cross. And if you say, I want to be crucified with Christ, don't worry. When you mean it, he'll send some heathen to start nailing you to the cross. And you can bow up about it and, and call it righteous indignation, or you can realize God is answering my prayer. God is answering my prayer. Would you pray with me right now? Lord, seal your word in our spirit. Let it have the full 
and complete work that you intended and sent it for. Father, I don't want to stand in judgment and be condemned by those from Nineveh. But I've heard messages throughout my life. I'll receive them and I'll respond. I'll receive them and I'll respond. I'll receive your word and I'll respond. By your grace, Lord, not by my own goodness, not by my human will. But by your grace, Lord, I'll receive your word and I will respond. In the name of Jesus, strengthen your people, Lord, by your spirit. Let us be responsive to that which you have spoken to us tonight. Receive the word. We receive your word in faith in Jesus' name. Praise God. May the Lord bless you. Please, in your times of prayer these next few days, uh, remember Sister Schoonover. Uh, she's working with family out of state. And uh, I know that she would covet our prayers, so I encourage us to bear her up. Uh, she's very busy, so probably wouldn't be the time to try to call her or start bombarding her with text or anything like that. Uh, but just pray. Pray in faith.